Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. This podcast is brought to you by De Beers Group Ignite, pioneering a new diamond world through groundbreaking innovation, science, and technology. Inspired by the world's unrelenting change, De Beers Ignite is driven to develop creative solutions for the diamond industry, not only for existing challenges, but also for those it may never have faced before, helping you to achieve growth with efficient and accurate technologies throughout the diamond pipeline. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rep for Diamond podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, and with me today are our Editor-in-Chief, Sonia Estes-Altani, and News Editor, Joshua Friedman. Hello to you both. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see you. Hi, Avi. Hi, Joshua. Nice to see you again. Hi, Avi and Sonia. We work with each other every day and we see each other on Zoom. And uh, But this is a virtual recording again. We're not in the studio. And um, it's been about a month, uh, over a month now that we've been working virtually again or working from home. And uh, I don't know, how's that working out for you? Are you happy to be working from home out of the office? Do you miss me in the office? Um, or is this just the, the norm now that we, uh, we're settling into this routine of, uh, of not having that physical uh, interaction? I have to say the withdrawal syndromes is real, Avi. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Um, it's funny because now I can't wait to come back to the office for two weekly days. It will mean that things right. are getting better. That's, uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm a bit tired of all this. So I'm ready for the office interaction again. That's a sure sign that COVID has outlived its welcome because um, you, you've been such a, a strong advocate for working from home all these years. So if you're ready to be uh, back in the office, Sonia, then <laughs> then it's time. And But hopefully, yeah, we were on a, a schedule of twice a week and I, I liked that, that hybrid that we had um, for a while. Um, Joshua, are you, are you managing with the kids at home and uh, is, or is, it, is it wild or are you more productive than ever? It's usually okay. I think I'm, I still miss being in the office just because it's a, more normal to work with other people around you um, in a team. But I'm not going to complain about not having to get up that bit earlier. Yeah, well, it definitely does help with the routine, um, having that break between home and uh, and work. <laughs> but I think it's uh, you know it's something that that the world and and I think the diamond and jewelry industry is getting yeah. has got used to now. And, uh, you know, it was a big question coming into 2022, if 2021 was an anomaly or if the momentum would uh, would continue. And it seems, Joshua, that the positive momentum, both in jewelry sales and and in terms of diamond trading, has continued. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much a record holiday, I think, depending on which numbers you look at on, on the retail side. And the indications, as you say, are that that's continued into into January. I think we're going to speak about Valentine's Day later on. That's ex- expectations that that will be very strong. And now the retailers are restocking after the holidays. Yeah, it's very definitely uh, positive momentum, as they say. Well, or at least um, the, the trade has taken its cues from the retail sector. And we've seen this these sort of positive, uh, I guess we can call them positive moves. But when we look at pricing, for example, in the rough market, the De Beers and El Rosa rose, raised their prices and, and took that cue from the retail market and also from the polished market, which has seen strong gains in January. And uh, I, I guess the question is how, how, how that will affect yeah sentiment moving forward it seems the sentiment has been very strong since the beginning of the year but there's sort of there's sort of signs that it might be might be cracking i'm i'm, I'm not sure if you you're seeing that at all 
I think the polish demand has been very strong. I think one of the concerns is that the increase in rough prices has has out has outpaced polished. Um, so a lot of the manufacturers and the dealers are concerned that they're they're not making the profit margins they'd like to to make. And then the other factor that I think we touched on the last podcast, but it's uh it's an important point is that this is this is the time of year that we'd expect to have. Well, I mean, it is the time of year of of of, mm. um, of strong sales in China for the Chinese New Year, and hard to get very kind of firm information from China, but it seems that it's just not quite as strong as it was last year. Um, there's been a, a slowdown in, or at least a slowdown in the rate of growth in the economy in China in the last few months of 2021. Right, so the comparisons the comparisons are um, are, are difficult. And speaking to to one or two people in Hong Kong that um, that I did uh, in the last week or two, they sort of um, echo that sentiment that China is not as um, not as strong as uh, as as it was. Um, I think there there also you know there has been this uh, this wave of coronavirus um, infections there as well, and and that has affected retail to some extent going into the new year. And and actually the the um, the Chinese New Year is today as we're recording. So um, so I guess uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I unfortunately haven't learned how to say a happy New Year of the tiger yet in uh, in Chinese, but um, my, my wishes are certainly there. Sanya, what are you seeing at the retail level? Is you know, is that and also amongst jewelry designers, is that sort of positive momentum or positive sentiment still out there in the in the new year? It seems like it. It seems like you know some designers are releasing new collections. They go to shows. Uh, Centurion just happened in the states. Tucson. Some of them will go there. A lot of them, from what I can see, are release sending press releases about their, their new collections. Some of them are inspired by by the years of COVID. So you know they play on the on that theme, and it seems that retailers are, right. are quite positive. All the retailers we interviewed in um, for the magazine for our monthly report are bullish about what's going on. So, so that's you know so far so good. It seems. It seems that there, for now, is no reason to expect that momentum to break. You know, there they are there are definitely concerns um, in the market about the high rough prices, about certain economic trends and geopolitical tensions um, that may affect consumer confidence as well, and also the extent to which polished prices have have come up. That, that dynamic for the midstream is certainly becoming a little bit more. A little more tense, I think, or, or there, there seems to be an expectation that at least, you know, within a few months, um, there might be that added pressure. But let's ride the wave while, <laughs> while it's, uh, while it's there, I think, right? So Joshua, what do you see that's next for retail? Um, one of the stories that we picked up on diamonds.net is that there's, um, there seems to be some expectation for returns, um, after the holiday season. What do you read into that? Does that affect the, the jewelry market at all? Yeah, this was an interesting story that um, based on some research that the National Retail Federation put out. The big increase in expectations of returns of products this year. So just under 17% of total 2021 retail sales will be returned uh, is their, their prediction. Now, obviously, there's a few questions here. For, I mean, do people return jewelry at the rate that they return other products i would suspect not but we don't know that for sure it would make sense though because as i think you know like since so many people buy online and uh, sometimes the sites are not giving you the full information you don't have the option to try obviously and uh, 
some of the pictures. I was I was doing a research for myself, and I was very shocked actually that some websites don't give you enough information. The pictures don't show you the whole piece. So I could imagine it being in the same proportion as you know people buying clothes or makeup or books or games online. That it would be in the same proportion. That would be the same, yes, right. because you know you buy online. And then you feel a bit disappointed, and you just return it. I think there's. Uh... I think size has a has more of an effect in other products, though. You know, certainly in in fashion, in in clothing. Okay. You know, for if, you know, if you buy a pair of shoes and 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 the size is off, then that would be a, a natural return, and that wouldn't necessarily be the case of for jewelry. Um, I don't know. If, I don't think they mentioned that in the report, but uh, the effect of more purchases being made online is one of the reasons for those um, for that spike in return, right? Yes. Yeah. We should look into this. If you're listening to this podcast and you're a jewelry retailer, <laughs> get in touch with us and tell us what's your rate of product returns in January. Absolutely, please. Um, yeah, and and I mean January. We we always used to look at the um, vouchers and gift uh, gift vouchers over the holiday season and what sort of effect that would have on uh, on January's January sales, if if at all. And that seems to have fallen by the wayside a bit. I don't think. Um, it's kind of a lazy gift, I think, a, a, a gift voucher, <laughs> right? But uh, it's certainly my go-to in, uh, often, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And 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 maybe for Valentine's Day as well, which um, yeah. <clears throat> we were going to get to. Uh, and and the NRF, the National Re- uh, Retail Federation, put out a report that they're really expecting so, a bumper Valentine's Day for particularly for for jewellery. So here, I'm just going to make a point. For Valentine's Day, a voucher is lazy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me me just get a pen and uh, make a note of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, mean, Sonia, is Valentine's Day becoming more relevant to the the jewellery trade for retailers? So I think a lot of people are buying um, chocolates, taking their loved one out on a nice dinner, I think experiential is still uh, is still running, but I think according to the NRF, 22% of people are planning to buy jewelry, which is quite a, a nice number, I think. And it's certainly higher than than previously. Yes, that idea of uh, of jewelry replacing experience is uh, is a continuation of a theme, although I don't think they're necessarily exclusive of one another. I can imagine particularly on a Valentine's Day that, uh, you know, a couple would do both or all of the above. Yes, you know, I think that's... Depends on, on, on the level of romance that, <laughs> that the partners are, are after. Yeah. Or, or the, the relevance of the day at all. You know, where we, where we sit in Israel, it's not much of a holiday, right? It's, it's very much a, a US, um, US and uh, more Western festival, let's say. I don't know what it says about us, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, do you, Joshua, do you have any plans for Valentine's Day? Let's, let's start with that. <laughs> it's a very good question. I, I admit to having, I don't think, ever bought or received a, uh, a Valentine's Day gift. But uh, I was discussing with my wife. She, she pointed out that on her first birthday, I think it was her first birthday after we got married, I got together, I printed some, some old photos of from our engagement and the wedding and all sorts of things. And by then we also had a child, thank God. So we you know, t- printed off some pictures of him and kind of made it into a bit of a, a scrapbook. 
and kind of annotated it in uh, in my handwriting and, and gave it to her as a gift. There we go. There, um, there is a, that was that was the closest thing. Uh, yes, <laughs> there is a romantic in you um, after all. Yeah, we didn't just sit down and talk about rough writers. Well, it's so 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 that's what all the surveys are telling us is that uh, you know it's all about that personal story and and putting that personal touch into it, which I think jewelry does does bring out um in some yeah. way and sonia is, is that a is that your narrative would you rather have a um, scrapbook of of uh, personal memories from your husband or a nice diamond bracelet as a valentine's day gift do you really want me to answer that question publicly <laughs> uh, uh, you you're, you can take a vow of silence at this point if you wish <laughs> depending whether your husband listens to the podcast or not <laughs> uh, we'll keep it at that but um any tennis diamond bracelet is always welcome. It's always just, welcome. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> All right, we will. We will. One of the things in that survey from the, the National uh, the National Retail Federation, which needs to have a monopoly on retail surveys, was that when they asked people what they wanted to receive, experiences came much higher up, whereas when they asked people what they were giving, it came lower down and people were more likely to give um, candy, greeting cards, and flowers. So it seems that people want they want experiences and they get something else. Which I would imagine. Well, I mean, when you when you say giving um, giving a a thing, I, mine doesn't go to candy and and flowers, which are pretty low cost um, <laughs> way out of uh, of the uh, gift giving experience. But um, I, I would have thought before COVID, maybe it was the other way around that people wanted things rather than and were prepared to give experiences. Um, it's interesting that could be. I wonder. It's something we need to ask the NRF. Could be. I tell you that. Um, firstly, my, my, I've got a cousin, a very dear cousin, whose birthday is on the fourteenth of February, and she would always be the most popular girl at school um, because on Valentine's Day, <laughs> it was it was a, a mixture <laughs> of uh, of birthday gifts and, and and Valentine's Day gifts, and maybe she um, she kind of blurred the lines on which is which. But I, I've always had some sort of trauma over Valentine's Day. It was, you know, as a kid, I, I, I tried my luck with these um, sort of hallmark um, self-authored roses or red poems and um, much to my embarrassment um, in hindsight. So I, I kind of I stay indoors, I think, on Valentine's Day these days. It's just from my childhood traumas of, of corny Valentine's Day gifts just doesn't ring a bell anymore. <laughs> oh, Avi, Avi, thanks yeah. for sharing this with us and our millions of listeners. I'm l- looking for sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so look, the good news is that is that um, the projection for Valentine's Day um, is a projection that the momentum of jewelry sales will continue, and that's very good news for the industry. And we've seen that those, you know, January is a you know, after that quiet period of news flow during the Christmas New Year period, suddenly we we're inundated with these results and these um, reports from companies about the holiday season. We've certainly had our share in January from the from from retail, um, but particularly among the luxury houses like LVMH, Richmond, that had a very good um, fourth quarter and holiday season. Um, Joshua, yeah, so. Um... We've seen very consistently strong growth from all of the the big luxury uh, the big luxury groups, you know, Richmond, LVMH, Swatch Group, um, Kering. No, actually, Kering haven't reported yet, but the other three have. 
and so it was all in the range of sort of 30 to 40 percent up versus last year and what it's i mean obviously that a lot of that just reflects how bad things were in about the second quarter of 2020 i mean really the best performance was richmond and uh, i was actually speaking to a few analysts who pointed out that that a lot of that that comes down to the strength of their brands so they have cartier and van cleef which are both extremely strong brands whereas people like swatch group they've done well but they there's compared with before the pandemic their their sales aren't really up so much uh and they don't they know they have they have uh brands like harry winston but they don't have quite have a, a cartier and a van cleef um and likewise lvmh has been very strong because they've got a you know they've got a tiffany and a bulgari so that seems to be that seems to be the big driving factor now is is the presence of of very strong brands despite the fact that some like richmond for example is extremely exposed to the tourist market, you might have expected it to, to struggle more than it has. Right, and and uh, that, that was one of the points about the Chinese New Year as well is that um, that the the strong brands in mainland China are doing well and they're and they're gaining market share. Um, that uh, and I guess it also ties into a bit that the the Chinese tourist shopper, the luxury shopper from from uh, from China, is not traveling at the moment, and so they're spending more um, locally, and so that naturally would favor the brands that have a presence in China. And I think I think it's fair to say that those those luxury houses do have a presence in um, a, on mainland China and it's, uh, and it's expanding. There's another big, uh, big brand actually of Richmond, uh, Buccelati, yeah, which is extremely popular um, with the Asian market and uh, also has done very well. Mm. Right. Also a, a heritage brand that, you know, is selling very, very well. Yeah. LVMH, uh, of course, had um, published their results and, and they had a big boost from, from Tiffany. It's now a year since the, since Tiffany has been under the LVMH, um, umbrella. And, um, you can really feel the difference in the, in the brand. It's, it's certainly taken a, a, a sort of more modern approach, but also trying to elevate the brand to, to a more, um, high exclusive, uh, sort of image. Is that a fair assessment, um, Sonia? I think so. And I think also from the results, we can see that it's the high jewelry of Tiffany that has done very well. Bernard Arnault, the, the boss of LVMH, was interviewed by a French newspaper and he said they almost paid back what they, they spent on Tiffany hmm. just with, uh, with this really, really good results. And, um, and it seems like Tiffany has, you know, they want to do the silver Jewelry, there's always been one of their trademark, but they want to make it uh, more expensive, more luxurious, and hold the high jewelry lines, you know, like having Beyonce wearing a spectacular diamond. I think they're, they're really going up market with, uh, with Tiffany, and it seems it's paying off. So let's see. You think they're happy they didn't uh, call off the deal then? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we forget how, how touch and go it was at one stage right <laughs> yeah. um yeah. but they, they they certainly haven't been shy um to i don't know if shy is the right word but they, they haven't um yeah shied away from any any controversy or potential campaigns that might not work and some didn't work one collection that they're in that is in the works has already generated some controversy um where they they're collaborating with uh, with Pharrell Williams and he um he arrived at the Paris was a Paris fashion week that um wearing one of the uh one of the pieces from the new collection which hasn't been 
unveiled yet, right? And uh, a pair of sunglasses that um, that generated a bit of a buzz on social media. What, what is your take on this uh, on this controversy? That it seems to the, the claim is that it's a it's a ripoff from a uh, from a pair of sunglasses that appeared on auction circuits a, a few months back. So it's funny because I think people would have seen uh, Farrell, the pictures would have seen, wow, these these sunglasses are so cool. You know, it's like uh, the diamond uh, set with diamonds. They have tiny emeralds on the side. They have a nice um, oval shape and uh, they look really, really cool. But suddenly the whole jury community that knows about what's going on in auctions, follows the news. Suddenly we've seen these glasses very recently and um, if we remember, uh, back in November, Sotheby's were selling two pairs of glasses from the Mughal ages, from India, from the 17th century, exactly the same as what Farrell was wearing. One was with emerald glasses, the other one with diamonds, but the shape was the same, the setting of the diamonds, even the tiny stones on the side. Um, so there's been quite a big outrage because suddenly we thought, the you know, jury people thought, couldn't Tiffany at least credit this source, you know, the the resemblance is just too close to for pure coincidence. So there was there was a bit, I think, of a shame that Tiffany didn't play it um, more classy on this one and said, you know. Well, my my take on it is that um, maybe Pharrell Williams was just being a bit naughty, you know, that he he was jumping the gun a bit in uh, because the collection's not out yet, right? It's a custom made at the moment. It's a custom made uh, pair. So it seems like they're planning a collection. I don't know after the But it hasn't been it hasn't been officially launched. So so in a way Tiffany hasn't had that opportunity to to give that credit. Is that is that am I being too kind? I don't know. <laughs> I think you are because you know it was interviewed by um WWD, um Women's Wear Daily, uh talking about this collaboration with Tiffany, and I don't think you speak to WWD without Tiffany agreeing to it first and giving, you know, the information. So, no. And also there was no comment anywhere from Tiffany, no right. uh, reply, nothing. They let it happen. So, no, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not being as kind as you, Evie. Well, it, you know, maybe bad, bad news, bad press. There's no such thing as bad press. And, uh, and, and it certainly generated some interest for the for the collection that will be unveiled at some point you know and and maybe then they will comment but um but yeah I've, i have noticed that there there is no there hasn't been a a um a comment since then but they seem to cultivate the controversy i, I just wonder, i just wonder if if it's uh, if it's been a planned if it was a planned thing or not if tiffany was aware that he was attending and that he would be wearing the glasses since there was an article i'm um, um, i think so right and also where, which is there a better place than you know paris fashion week to to show off something like this right fair enough but i think the image is is a bit above that you know like the same way as they did this campaign not pure mother stephanie and you know and they had also this campaign about etiquette at the table you mm. remember this commercial with this so i think they like to to be a bit subversive, but this one was not subversive. I think it just wasn't cool. That's right. Tiffany right. on this one. Okay. Well, they, they at least grabbed some headlines at Paris Fashion Week, where many of the other high-end jewelers were launching collections and uh, and um, bringing their stories to the market. Yes.
what were some of the the high end brands and uh, were there some important sort of um, collections and pieces that were unveiled at um, at Fashion Week? Interestingly, uh, since we're talking about Indian influence and Maharajas and you know precious things, um, Boucheron released the whole collection based on um, a collection they did in 1928 for one of the Maharajas that came to Paris with big, big trunks of uh, stones, emeralds, diamonds, rubies. And uh, they set up this collection. I think back then it was 140 pieces or something, including, you know, headpieces, uh, necklaces, belts, the whole thing. And uh, this year, Boucheron got inspiration from some of the drawings and created a collection very much based on uh, the same structure, a very opulent, very also very nice line, quite minimalist in a color scheme and um, transformable jewelry. And it's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, is it innovative to copy something that was done in 1928? I don't know. I will leave that one. Well, they're re- readdressing it, let's say, because he he brought it to them, yes. right? So um, so yes. maybe it's some sort of a, a homage to to that uh, initial, you know, original. And it was a superb, yes, collaboration. It was wonderful collaboration, and I think you know they they also they go back to this. Uh, there's something Bouchon has been doing for a few seasons that jewelry could be worn by men and women. Mm. So back then the Maharajas of India were the one, you know, the men wearing this very opulent, absolutely glorious jewelry. So today they also try to promote it to young men or older men would like to wear, you know, brooches, pins, maybe a necklace. You know, so there's there's a lot of uh, gender fluidity, I think, in right. this jewelry, which I think is the exciting side of the collection. I was going to say that he, it seemed that he was um, ahead of his, his time as all that maybe we're you know, the world sort of um, goes in, in cycles. Um, there is definitely a very feminine feel to the to the jewellery that almost surprising that it was worn by a man um, from our perspective. But um, but it was, uh, as you say, in, in those days, um, particularly amongst the Maharajas in India, that was jewellery was, was celebrated by both men and, and women. And I like the fact that that Butcheron um, is is trying to market it, you know, to both um, segments of the market. One of the quotes I, I um, that I read from Butcheron is that that they sort of started with this, um, you know, the, the story sort of shows their roots in men's jewelry, but then they became very focused on women's jewelry, and now they're they're doing a, a sort of full circle by embracing the the gender neutrality of the gender neutral trend that is uh, is um, is taking force at the moment, and and this seems like a good collection to to do that. I think it's quite exciting, anyway. But it's certainly you know Paris Fashion Week is certainly a a, a place that has sort of a wow factor for for jewelry um, at this time of year. Yes, absolutely. And um, one of the, um, the houses is Chopard, and they presented um, their collection, which is uh, big on gemstones, colored gemstones, big, big stones. And they presented as part of the display this, um, remember, we talked about this big emerald from Zambia. I forgot its name, I'm sorry to say. I think it's a rhinoceros. It's an, it's an elephant. Yeah, elephant. So this big uh, rough emerald actually stole the show from what I heard at Shoppert because everyone was fascinated by this big, big emerald. And obviously they want to know what Shoppert is going to do. Mm. They're going to, you know, cut it and set a whole collection around it. So that was uh, 
it's interesting to see over 6,000 um, carats um, of emerald rough um, still in its rough form. Yes. So it'll be fascinating to see what they yeah. what, what they do with that. Um, uh, I would love to see the process involved in in that um, in that creation. Yeah. So as you say, De Beers and Cartier also had a presence and and um, did collections at uh, in Paris. So it's uh, there's a lot coming out of there and. A lot uh, to look forward to in the in the coming in the coming months. Um, Joshua, is there anything that you have your eye on in, in February that uh, that we, uh, from a news point of view, what's on your radar this month? Well, I think uh, results from the Chinese New Year retail. I think uh, I think we'll be looking out for that, and obviously Valentine's Day being an important shopping festival in the US. Um, so I think we'll be we'll be looking at both of those. And again, I think we're just waiting to see when this when this kind of momentum will end and if it will. Well, yeah, let's let's not be pessimists and um, and uh, if it will end rather than when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it can't go. On. <laughs> yeah, it can't go on forever. But um, or maybe it maybe it can. I, I think I think our, our skepticism comes when when we see such large growth. Um, I think the more incremental sort of stable growth. Um, might insp- might inspire more long-term confidence anyway. Sonia, the show season is is starting up again and uh, and there's what to look forward to in the in the coming months. It seems like it just we uh, we saw that unfortunately Vincenzo Aro and um, Inorganta have postponed their, their shows, not cancel it, postponed it to spring, but the American shows are happening. Uh, could see a lot of people flying, updating their Facebook status, saying, you know, you see the little fly plane going that direction of Houston. <laughs> so very, very happy for people who are attending, networking. And um, unfortunately, I think Tucson had planned a whole series of uh, of seminars on ethical ethical trading, responsibly sourced stones. Um, that seemed to be a big, big uh, topic for the industry. And they had to to cancel this program because of, you know, COVID and I guess some people not being able to to travel I'm sure it will be on the on the traders on the traders' mind, and there will be a lot of conversations around that that topic on the floor. Yeah, and and certainly the the sustainability topic already we we're seeing that um, be continuing to be a strong theme in 2022, and we are also planning to explore those issues uh, more in in future podcasts and webinars, and um, can stay tuned for that. So um, Joshua and Sonia, thank you so much for a, a fun and engaging discussion as always. Um, I hope to see you soon in the office again. Me too. You too, Abby. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Have a, have a wonderful week ahead and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Ignite, a full-service innovation science and technology division within the De Beers Group, spearheading step change throughout the diamond industry.